from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Senesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Senior Salute Radio. Senior Salute Radio is presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. And hello and welcome to Senior Salute Radio presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. I'm Mike Salmon alongside attorney Victoria Collier and Senior Salute Radio brings timely information to leading age boomers and seniors addressing the issues of aging, caregiving, and maintaining quality of life. Hey Mike, how are you today? Good, thank you. Good. Well, today we are going to be discussing a very difficult topic, suicide among seniors. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month and it touches me personally as well as my clients. All right. Well, Victoria, you just said that suicide touches you personally. So let's go ahead and start there. What did you mean by that? Well, Mike, first and foremost, my undergraduate degree is in psychology. And in psychology, you learn a lot about mental illness. And some mental illness, specifically depression, uh, can lead to people committing suicide. Um, And I think that I likely was attracted to that degree, that line of study, because my mother um, actually committed suicide when I was a child. I didn't know specifically that when I was a child. Um, I learned first, you know, for in reality that that's what happened when I was an adult. But I had a sense as I was growing up the whole time and certainly a huge sense of loss. And I was six when that happened. And when I was younger, when I was about 19 and living on my own, I had moved out of my parents' house when I was 17 and just really questioning where do I fit in this world and do I fit in this world. At 19, I had my first real thoughts of of suicide and not just thoughts of, hey, I could do that, but real thoughts of actually doing that. And then another time in my life, which wasn't that long ago, it actually was in 2013 when my kids were three years old, I had made all preparations to commit suicide. When I say make preparations, like I had went out and I bought a life insurance policy, knowing that under most life insurance policies, there's a two-year period where you can't Mm -hmm. uh, claim under an insurance policy if someone had committed suicide within that period of time. So... The preparations I was making was for a period two years plus later. But as far as that goes, I also made sure my estate plan was in order. You know, I mean, I was in a place where I felt that my children would be better off without me. And and they were at the age when, about the same age when you lost your mother. I was at the same age when my mother left our family. Okay. Absolutely. And, And yes, when you have a trauma like that, Uh, when you're young, whether you can process that or not, you do see triggers later on in life of the same kind of events. I see that as I'm raising kids that certain things are happening at certain ages for them through me because of my life experiences and and that being one of them. I also didn't feel like I was being the spouse that I should have been and that my spouse deserved to have. And so nobody would have seen that on the outside, you know, um, but I did get, after doing all my preparations and during, I did get help through counseling and therapy. And one of the hardest parts of, of going through those feelings was then getting to a place when you know you're not going to do that. 
and sharing that information with the people you love the most, like your spouse, mm -hmm. you know, um, because you're afraid that they're going to think you didn't love them, which is not the case at all. So through my own experiences, I write poetry and I write books, but I actually have written two collection of poems, books. One is called Love, Sex, and Suicide, and the sequel to that is called Love, Sex, and Survival. Today, I'm going to read a couple, a few poems from that collection, just to share that what it looks like and what it feels like, what it sounds like, because it's so prevalent in our society, and even more so among senior citizens. So these were written after you had already made the decision to not commit suicide. Actually, no. Um, <laughs> the, the poems themselves? The, the poems themselves were written throughout my entire life, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Throughout my entire life. And uh, the ones about suicide were uh, mostly written during that deepest stage I was going through. Okay. Um, the ones about survival, yes, um, were written, some of them, in efforts of getting out of that dark space. Some of them were after I was out of that dark space. You know, it's kind of like fake it till you make it. Yeah, so some yeah. were written <laughs> in anticipation of getting out and some were written afterwards. It is different for senior citizens than it is for young adults um, or even children who have depression, uh, who have suicidal thoughts. And the poems that I brought today, two of them are written in the style or from the perspective of a senior citizen, which I think is very different. And then the third poem I will leave everyone with, which is one from the Love, Sex, and Survival. It is the survival poem. Okay. So, so we're talking about something that's very close to, to a lot of folks, and that is a very difficult topic of suicide among seniors. So you work in an elder care practice. You have an elder care practice, of course. It's okay. the estate and asset protection law firm of Victoria Collier. Do you see this with your practice? Do you see this with some of your clients? You know, I do, but not in the way that one would think. You know, one out of five seniors that attempts suicide actually does die. Whereas younger adults, one out of 200 that attempt suicide actually die. And there's various reasons as to why it's so high for seniors. One of those is that they are more infirm and they just can't recover like a younger individual would. Right. But to my knowledge, none of my clients have taken their own lives. But how it does surface in my law firm frequently are the conversations we have. And it is not uncommon that when we are talking about the advanced directive for health care, oftentimes people call that a living will. And it's outlining your desires and your expression as to if you get into a certain condition, would you or would you not want life support? And that's a conversation we have with every single one of our clients. Some of those clients choose to share that if I ever get to that situation, then I'm just going to kill myself. Or they sometimes won't say the words, but the men especially will put like a hand gesture like it's a gun up to mm -hmm. their head or their chest. The women will say, I'm going to go to a state where, you know, assisted suicide is legal. Or they won't say assisted suicide. They'll say, I'll go to a state where I can do that, which is what they mean. And so it opens up a dialogue as to how they feel about aging and having chronic illness and specifically having dementia and Alzheimer's. 
Yeah, and I've heard that personally among my family, some of the elders saying, if I get to a point like this, just put me down or whatever. I'm guessing, though, that the children of these seniors, their thoughts are probably completely the opposite. Well, they're definitely different. Children have compassion for their parents, but children don't want their parents to die, ever. Even though that's the natural course of life, is that parents should die before their kids. And yet you'll hear kids, you know, that's my rock, you know, that's my best friend, that's anybody but someone I want to die. So it's very troubling to them to hear their parents say, I'd rather just end it myself on my own terms. And I want to share one particular client that came into our office, and it was a man, and his daughter was there with him. And I was not meeting with them, but my uh, assistants were meeting with them. And they were having that very conversation, and the man said, I'll just kill myself, or he indicated in some way. The daughter totally shut him down and said, oh, no, Dad, you're not going to do that. She took his pen. She started gathering up the papers and taking them kind of like away from in front of him because she just couldn't hear it. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, my two team members that were in there in that meeting, they didn't know how to manage that situation and when they're talking to me in an intermission (laughs) you know uh, they came out of the meeting you know daughter and dad are still in the meeting waiting my assistant was telling me about it and I said to her I said well how did you respond and she's like I didn't really and I'm like then you were complacent and complicit in shutting him down and that's not acceptable that is not okay he needs to have a space to express his feelings because his feelings are very valid. They may be uncomfortable. They may be not what the daughter wants, but they're very valid feelings. And so I gave her a directive to go right back in there and reopen that conversation and allow him to express himself and validate his feelings, not the action that would flow from the feelings necessary, but just the feelings themselves. And I think that... Not doing that is dangerous because he's feeling not heard, he's feeling shut down, and he doesn't even have a place to express himself. So what do people do in situations like that? They feel lonely, they feel isolated, and they feel like nobody cares about how they feel, which are some of the triggers to suicide. And when we're looking at seniors, I'm assuming that we we can't treat it or view senior depression and suicide the same as we would for children or, or younger adults. Well, we can't. You know, in 2017, there were 47,000 people who committed suicide. And of those, 8,500 of them were age 65 and above. Men over the age of 65 are at the highest risk of dying from suicide. And once people reach the age of 85, there's actually no distinction in the genders as to who's successful of when I say successful, I mean they die from right. their attempt. And so it's a large group. And as I said before, one in four or one in five who who are seniors that try to commit suicide, in fact, do die from it. Whereas younger individuals, only one in 200. And that's why they're the highest risk of a population. And we can't treat that the same. And, you know, when this daughter was sitting there with her father, she comes from her perspective. Her perspective, she's in her 40s or 50s. She has kids that are in college. 
she has a lot to live for. She has a lot of experiences yet to have. A person who's 95 with multiple chronic illnesses, who's lost their spouse, lost their independence and their freedom, their ability to drive, they come from a different perspective. And I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. What I'm saying is very different. And when we're analyzing it, we have to look at it differently. Even when you look at all of the literature on suicide prevention awareness, it's about the prevention. And I think one of the things that we need to look at is what is going on with that person, A, that would make them feel that way. Can they express themselves or do they feel the stigma of being weak because they aren't happy all the time? You know, the stigma of mental illness because depression is considered a mental illness. We've got to look at do they have a purpose in life that they are fulfilling or that they want to fulfill, right? So very different from someone who is 25 years old who still has the ability to create and contribute in ways that our society recognizes wherein I'm a senior advocate of course I believe that seniors do contribute in wonderful ways mm -hmm. but our society as a whole does not treat seniors that way how do you detect Victoria and, and by the way a reminder that you are listening to senior salute radio presented by the estate and asset protection law firm of Victoria Collier and we're talking with attorney Victoria Collier about the uh, about suicide among seniors you gave the example earlier of the daughter who was taken aback when her father in that meeting at your office mentioned that he had thoughts of that. I'm guessing most seniors don't just volunteer this information. Should, should children talk to their parents about, hey, mom, hey, dad, have you ever thought about this? Well, Mike, there are signs for anyone who's depressed. Those signs might display themselves very differently. So we have to be aware that we're in a circumstance, we're in a situation that would lend itself more to depression than other circumstances and situations. But first of all is knowing what the signs are mm -hmm. and the signs for potential suicide is someone who is depressed, someone who acts depressed. If they have attempted prior suicides, if for seniors, especially if they're stockpiling pills, like if they're gathering pills from multiple doctors or even from a particular doctor. I can tell you that in 2013, when I uh, was considering suicide, I asked my, I straight up asked my therapist, how many sleeping pills would it take? And she said, more than you can ever accumulate, <laughs> you know, but my mother, that's how she died, was with a cocktail of pills, you know, which means a, a variety of different kinds. Many seniors have lots of pill bottles all around. And children just accept that as part of the landscape because right. you know they're on 10 different pills well if they're taking them as prescribed then those pill bottles should be getting empty and if they're stale and old then you should be throwing them away or flushing them or doing whatever is bio you know bio whatever safe mm -hmm. yep, biodegradable <laughs> right allowing them to stockpile is a sign um and we should be aware of that making statements of being a burden on others now, I get clients all the time that say, I don't want to be a burden on my kids. Therefore, I'm not moving in with them. Or, you know, I want to set up my finances a certain way so I'm not a financial burden on my kids. That's pre-planning. That's very different than sitting there and having a low affect, 
uh, and saying, I'm such a burden on my daughter. You know, this is not how I would have wanted things. I'm such a, I, if I were a better mother, she wouldn't have to be taking care of me. Statements like that, that, that they are now owning as real. And you hear that in the language all the time. Burdened with Alzheimer's, burdened with this and that. We've got to change our language. We've just got to change our language. Uh, and then we'll get different results. You know, they may show an increased sense of expression of helplessness or hopelessness. So you'll hear seniors say, I'm just looking at these four walls all day. You know, um, time just stops. There's nothing for me to do. No kind reason of, to get up in the morning. No reason to get up in the morning. You know, things like that. And people fear Alzheimer's and dementia so much. But I can tell you one of the saving graces about that is that people who have dementia and Alzheimer's live in the moment. No, we don't always know which moment that is that they're living in, but they frequently are not having those kinds of statements uh, as far as I have nothing to live for. And so that's different than someone that says, like, I want to go home. Uh, I want to go home. People with dementia will say that a lot. Sometimes it means I want to actually go to my house. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And other times it means I want to go be with the Lord, the maker. But when they say that, it's not usually coming from a depressed state. It's coming from a place of I'm ready, right? There's nothing else here for me. And that can be done in a positive way. And then ultimately, if our loved ones are showing poor crisis management abilities or they're irritable and have antisocial behaviors, uh, where they're isolating themselves or they're, uh, you know, pushing people away, um, that can be a sign of, of depression and suicidal thoughts. So a lot of signs out there for depression or, or suicide to keep an eye on. I, I do want to ask a question, though, that obviously if depression is detected, you want to get treatment for that depression for your loved one. Yeah, no matter what age right. someone is, you should be looking for the signs of depression and you should then seek an assessment of that. And if, in fact, it's shown that the person is depressed, then getting treatment for that. Okay. But treatment doesn't, sometimes doesn't help everybody. If treatment does not work and the person still feels like suicide is an option, then at the very least, I guess you still have to acknowledge that it's out there. Well, right. And even just your language, Mike, I'm going to pick on you for a second. If treatment doesn't work... What does that mean? That means that the person's no longer depressed. Just because you're not depressed doesn't mean that you feel like living, okay? And so that's what I'm talking about, changing the language. We live in a society where doctors are here to heal people who are sick. Doctors are here to make sure people don't die, right? And that's success. Well, sometimes success is dying. Sometimes success right. is letting go of the shell of our bodies so that our soul can go wherever our soul goes. And so, yes, I would say that if someone is depressed, have them assessed, give them treatment. But if they still express desires of not being in this world anymore, go beyond treatment. Go, go to why. Do they, as we talked about before, do they have a purpose? If they don't, can we create one with them? Do they have quality of life? If they don't, can that be improved in any way? Because depression and suicide are symptoms of other things. Can we minimize or eliminate the cause of the symptoms? And if we cannot, then maybe death is something to acknowledge as an option. 
So let, let's talk, wrap our arms around that a little bit about ways ca- that we can minimize depression for seniors. Sure. So seniors often become lonely because they are living alone. Their spouses have passed away. Sometimes their children have passed before they have. Maybe they didn't have any children. Uh, their siblings are dying. Often we'll have, you know, I'm the last one left, you know, in the sibling arena. And so they're lonely. So how do we prevent loneliness? Visit. Make calls regularly. Send them cards. You know, just because we are in an age of email and texting doesn't mean that our senior citizens are. They love getting cards and pictures of our kids, um, grandkids. Send them flowers. I would say be creative and, and create a schedule so that every week or every month, this person who is living alone is being touched in some way. You know, as a business owner, we do that all the time with professional colleagues that we want to refer clients to us. You know, it's every month or every week I'm thinking, what can I send to this person so they are top of mind on on my business so they can refer business to me? Why do we not do the same thing for people we love? Right. Why don't we send them stuff so that we are top on their mind and they know that they are top on our mind? Right. So that's one thing. Personally, I have an 85-year-old mother who lives alone, and I know she's lonely. She's talked about it. So I will make a point mm-hmm. to either call or visit every couple days. Exactly. Don't really have a reason to call her to check in. Everything good? You need anything? And just thinking about you. Right. Exactly. And I think what prevents people from doing it more than the fact that we're all busy, because we're all busy, but we prioritize our days based on busyness, okay? So if it was important enough to us, we would make it happen. And I don't let busyness be the excuse. The reason why people don't do it is because of all of the relationship baggage we've had our entire life with this person, you know? You might not be the closest with your parent. You might not feel warm and fuzzy because your mother was a, you know, strict dictarian or whatever. The fact of the matter is you're adults now and the relationship has changed and you have a way to make it different as an adult than you did when you were a child. And it may not ever be perfect, but it can be different. And part of that difference is you as an adult making that mature choice of saying, I have a parent who's lonely. We may not be, you know, the perfect parent-child combination, but I don't want as a human being, another human being to be lonely if I can avoid it. One of the most frustrating things for me is the child who's way too busy for their parent, but then complains because they say statements like, I'll just kill myself. You know, you can't have it both ways. Right, right, (laughs) right. So that's just one big way to help Mm -hmm. minimize depression among seniors, but I know there's uh, many, many more. So certainly reaching out for grief support after a loss of a loved one, such as spouses and siblings and pets, and understanding that grief looks different for everybody. The timing of grief is different for everybody. Uh, when my dad died, my mother, who has you know, always been this very strong individual and was continuing to display herself as a very strong individual, she finally went to a support group with her church that was a one-year program. And she did it twice. <laughs> you know, it took her two years, you know. And I believe she finally talked to her doctor about depression 
and he was able to help in other ways. And that was very, very difficult for her to even share. Um, and she'd kill me if she knew this was on air. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's the thing, is that people feel like others are going to judge them for that. You know, thank God she got help because she is so much better and easier and more enjoyable to be around. And she likes herself again. And there was a time when she didn't, you know, and all because of the grief. And we also have to recognize that grief is not just the loss or death of a loved one or a pet. Grief comes and the five stages of loss come when people lose their independence, like when they can no longer drive, when they move to an assisted living, uh, when they lose you know, their support of friends, not because they've died, but because they're not in that environment anymore. So many parents move, for example, from out of state to Atlanta to be with their kids. That's loss. That's loss of everything that they've known for the last 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk in terms of, so how is that transition? Is it going well? My God, I've only been here two weeks. I've lost my whole world, you know? No, you know, I need time to transition. We as their children, we as their loved ones, we want to be the best support, but we can't rush them through that. Other ways to minimize depression for seniors is, is not just accept the fact that people have chronic illnesses and that that's the way it's going to be. Continue to find ways to, if not get rid of the chronic illness or treat it, make it more comfortable, make it easier to live with on a day in and day basis, if possible. Because chronic diseases, chronic illnesses are one of the leading factors of suicide, uh, especially when somebody has two or more. Certainly traditional counseling and therapy, um, I know for a fact, you know, it's worked for me and it works for so many others. If people just get over their ego of going to see and ask for help, you know, and that's the biggest thing. And what I see in my office so much, Mike, is communication training. Oftentimes I am training the children of senior citizens on just how to communicate with them. And you'd be surprised at how many times the children will say, just a second, I want to write that down exactly how you said that, Victoria. Or, man, I wish you could come and talk to my mom, <laughs> you know, right. stuff like that. Because people don't know how to communicate in productive, meaningful, non-harmful ways. Especially about topics like this. About any topics, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, when they are now the ones who's coordinating care and and trying to make their parent be in the best situation possible sometimes we become so directive kind of like our parents were when we were kids and less compassionate so number one it's finding that compassion through communication but second it is being aware of their own feelings about death their own feelings about potential suicide and quality of life so that way they can have those conversations with their parents because they're not going to be effective unless they themselves have analyzed reviewed and at least thought about how do I feel about that you know how do I feel about it so that they don't react like the woman in my office did with her with her father right you know lastly you know some of the you know day-to-day things that seniors can do is is exercise and stay hydrated those are two very important things as we age that we need regardless but it really those two things help our mental brain our mental health and And also for others to recognize that depression and suicidal thoughts are not age-related illnesses. And yet 
many people who are at an advanced age have them, and it can and should be treated. Well, we've talked about signs of depression and suicide and ways to minimize depression for seniors, and we've looked at it from the second or third person. What about the person themselves who may be feeling suicidal? What should they do? Number one, I think they should be in tune with their feelings, you know, and not try to suppress them out. And what I want to do now is I will go ahead and read a couple poems from what I believe the senior perspective is as they age who can feel suicidal. And then we'll talk about how do we get out of that space. Okay. Okay. So one is fairly short and it's called fall, which right now we're in September. It is fall. (laughs) You know, we're leading into fall. Um, And as you'll notice, Mike, nature has its cycles and winter comes and things die. Spring comes, things become life again. And people are not any different than that. The highest rate of just normal death is in January and in the winter months. Um, And I believe, now this is speculation on my behalf, but I believe that's why Suicide Prevention Month is in September, is because the winter months are coming and people become more depressed as there's less sunlight and all of that kind of stuff. But this poem is called Fall. I feel the change, a shy chill, resting on my skin, working its way in. Leaves are pretty just before the fall, a hospice patient alert just before the call, a hopeful heart and eyes just before the cry. The rain is not of the season setting in, but of all the years left without you to live. So that poem is about a survivor who has just watched a loved one die. And now they, in this last sentence, but of all the years left without you to live, shines a globe on that loneliness, right? That can then, if not recognized, if not communicated, if not treated, if it becomes depression, can then lead to suicide, okay? The other one is much more direct. (laughs) And it's called This Winter. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't... uh, I see a a theme here. (laughs) Yes, I didn't pick those out on purpose. (laughs) So this one's called This Winter. I am the tree in autumn against my will losing all of my leaves that ugly and naked for all to see. I am the pond frozen over in winter, beautiful on the surface, but suffocating all life beneath who desperately need to breathe. No, I will not survive this winter. Never has it been my season, especially harsh this year, but I am now ready for death. Throughout my life, I have been reincarnated numerous times, reinventing myself, hoping to create electricity where none exists, I guess not willing to risk the lightning shock. Besides, it takes both metal and rain, and I only have rain. No part of me that even resembles the strength of hard, cold metal. Perhaps my metal is liquid ore, red hot, burning me from the inside out. The worst type of physical pain, nearly impossible to recover and have a quality of life. No, I don't believe I'll survive this winter too tired, too old, too cold. And so really, this is somebody who is expressing that they've lived their life, they've done all they could, um, they've had some exciting things going on reinventing themselves, but at this point, they don't see that they have a quality of life anymore. And I know you know, Mike, from all of the times we get together, and it's certainly on my website and everything, 
We at the Elder Law Firm, it is our mission to help people live and die with the highest quality of life. And that's where it is for us, not just the living, but also the dying, but in both components with the quality. And by the way, you said that poem, This Person, Mm -hmm. but you wrote the poem. I wrote both of those poems, absolutely. Were you talking about yourself? At the time I wrote the poem, absolutely. Okay, (laughs) okay. Even though I'm not a senior citizen, but, you know, as artists... And you're a songwriter, too, by the way. I am a songwriter. And you know, because, you know, you have a songwriter in your family. But as an artist, you can also place yourself in other people's experiences and write through there. And they can be your muse for you as well. Okay. So for the the, the seniors out there, and really anybody of any age, but we're talking specifically seniors on this program, what should those people that are feeling suicidal do? So first, I think the most helpful step is to talk to people close to them about it and also talk to their physician about getting assessed for depression so the people closest to them that could be family members that could be their friends you know um, or people at church but someone that they trust to say look I have something that I want to share and not something that they do just off the cuff you know oh, I'm feeling lonely that's not going to get a response from the other person it's I'm feeling lonely and I'm really not sure what to do about these feelings. It's feelings that 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 I'm really struggling with day in and day out. You know, go further. I'll share a most recent experience with you for me personally. Everybody has good and bad days, right? Right? Everybody has good and Absolutely. bad days, right? <laughs> so I'd li- yeah, yeah. If, if you have a great day every single day, I'd like to meet you. Yeah. So I have a lot of great going on in my life right now. A couple of weeks ago, I was traveling, and I had had some bad news on something, and then there was something else that was bad news. I just felt like I was being sucker punched from all directions. And I was out of town, away from my family and my support system, and I woke up the morning after getting some bad news, and I was like, I felt bad. I felt low. I felt really in a place that I hadn't been in a long time. And the first thing I did after I took a 20-minute shower of just, oh, woe is me, um, <laughs> standing there in the hot, hot water, I called my three mentors who have always been there for me and that I know I can say anything to, and they're not going to judge me. And they're going to help me through whatever it is, right? And they're not going to fix me, no. They're going to help me go through my own process of getting me where I need to be. And for people out there, a mentor could be anybody. It can be anybody. A friend. It it doesn't have to be a professional counselor. Correct. And so, in fact, one of those was a professional colleague of mine. So he's a lawyer. Um, Another one was my chiropractor. And the third one was uh, a business coach. Okay, so none of them were a traditional therapist by any means. And yet, by that evening, boom, I was back in my space where I needed to be. And we all have that. But if it's sustaining and, you know, or the first moments you really feel like, I can't get out of this by myself. Talk to people who you trust, who you feel comfortable with. And you know what? If it doesn't go well with that person, then try another person. <laughs> you right. know, Like I said, I called in all the reinforcements that day, all three of them, you know. And the doctor, your doctor is always there, you know, for you. Because all seniors should have a primary care physician, (laughs) you know. Uh, Whether they choose to use them for annual checkups or not is up to them. But they should all have a primary care physician. And that might be the best first place to start. 
call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I would you think know. that'd be for someone that doesn't have someone to call or they just don't feel like they can call a family member. At right. least you have the lifeline you can call. You do have the lifeline, and it can be anonymous. And their sole purpose is to be there and listen, to listen to what you're going through and to the extent assess, is this an imminent thing? Do you have a plan that you're committing suicide right now, and how can we best support you? Or is it something less than that that you need to talk with? Um, there are local suicide support organizations and then the national one the national lifeline i'll give that number here because this podcast is national so i want to make sure that um, that line is available for anybody so that's 800-273-8255 that's 800-273-8255 and then the legal part of me the lawyer part of me yes says you know what mike People need to get their affairs in order. <laughs> you are required to say that, but no, that that's all true, though. And not only am I required to say it, but I believe in it. Because, because you, you know, if you do follow through with this, I mean, you do want to have your life and legal affairs in order. You do. You know, I'll give you an example, and I think we've spoke about this before, is that one of our probate clients, a friend of mine, her sister was murdered, and then the guy who murdered her killed himself. And what a mess that was in addition to the suicide murder. But neither of their estates had been planned at all. One of them's estate plan was literally an email uh, that said, this is what I want to happen. And that email was like 15 years old. Some of the accounts didn't even exist and stuff like that. So if someone, first and foremost, everybody who's 18 and above should have their estate plan done. But... If you're starting to have thoughts of, I don't want to live in this world, um, I'm going to, you know, end my life, have your stuff in order, you know, just have your stuff in order, have a will. If you want to make things as smooth as possible for other people after you've died, have a trust so that they can avoid the court process. Pay your debts, you know, if you've got loose strings out there, tie them up and say goodbye you know, to people you want to say goodbye to. You don't have to tell them you're committed to suicide or that you're ending your life, but people do love you and they're not going to understand and they're going to question and they're going to wonder and having said goodbye is going to leave them with something. And you may not feel like you have hope or that anyone cares about you, but people do. And you may not want to be convinced to go to a doctor. You may not want to accept that you have depression. You may not want to heal. And I truly believe, Mike, that that's an individual decision. But if we're going to make that decision, then let's make other decisions, too. And that is having our affairs in order. Right. You don't want to be a burden as well when you're gone. So have your everything yeah. in order the best you can. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I was just a child when my mother chose to end her life. And I certainly would not have known the significance of this until I was older, which, of course, I did know the significance then. But um, on the year of her death, she lived in Germany, and um, she sent both me and my brother a German Stein, which is basically a beer mug. Right, of course. <laughs> and on that beer mug, so she had to have been planning it for a while because it takes planning to do what she did. On that beer mug, on one side was a picture of the dog that we had had together, and on the other side, it had my name with uh, my date of birth and then it said 
love mother and then it had the date of her death uh, not the exact date, but the year of her death. Okay. Uh, which serendipitously or coincidentally, September is Suicide Awareness Month, and that's in fact when she uh, ended her life back in 1976 was September uh, 18th. Again, we want to remind everybody you're listening to Victoria Collier, and this is Senior Salute Radio brought to you by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. And I want to thank everybody for their patience because we've run a little longer than we normally do for the show, but we wanted to make sure we took our time, did not want to feel rushed through such an important and very difficult topic. Before we do uh, give your contact information for any of the people that want to talk to you more about this or reach out to you about your practice, uh, you had one last little poem that you wanted to talk to us about. Right, Mike. I think that it's uh, prudent to leave people with a poem of survival. So this would be summer, right? You did fall and then this winter. Well, you just need to listen. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, but it is one of survival and it is a short poem called pour unto me the cold night never feels quite right the sun's warmth secures the soul depression and death occur at night pour unto me the light so basically come out into the sunshine Right. And I think an incredible program. And again, before we leave, I want to give that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number 1-800-273-8255. And that's for everybody, not just seniors, of course, although we have concentrated on seniors. But for this show to be so close to your heart because of what you've gone through in your lifetime, not just with your mother, but with you the earlier stages of your life as well and, and really not even that long ago when you go back to some of uh, your stories but for those that would like to reach out to you to talk about any of these issues to, to seek your services what is the best way well mike people can start um, by going to our website to learn more about us at elderlawgeorgia.com and georgia is spelled out so that's elderlawgeorgia.com and our phone number is 470 470- Two three five seven eight four eight. That's four seven zero two three five seven eight. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Mike. Want to thank our producer, Trey, as well. You've been listening to Senior Salute Radio. It's a bi-monthly show bringing you timely information for leading-age boomers, and it's available 24-7 anytime online by going to businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio, and then click on Senior Salute, and you'll see all the programs from over the years. I would like to thank our listeners. We salute you.